Hood by J.M. Bullpit Read by Jack Collard Chapter 12. The Fortune Teller and the Bodyguard The journey from South America back to Bristol was when Robbie lost all sense of direction, and it had nothing to do with the flight. Aside from his mother, Grandma Gwen and Ivan Noon had been the only constants in Robbie's life, his true north. But witnessing his grandmother force the drug deal on the plateau, which could potentially bring misery to thousands, and spectating on Ivor's casual ruthlessness as he murdered the henchman had destroyed the compass inside Robbie. Nothing could ever be taken for granted again. He was lost. Who was he to depend on now? Did he truly know anyone? His rudderless mind lurched between a hundred different fond memories of his family and the disorientating events of the night with all the questions they provoked. In less than half a day, Robbie's world had shifted and warped into a version of itself he had little hope of understanding, leaving him unsure of everything and everyone. Even though they were sat beside each other on the flying craft, Robbie and Ivor had not even exchanged glances, let alone spoken to one another since the bodyguard had returned from the facial remapping procedure to restore his default features. In a vessel brimming with people, they both seemed utterly isolated. Why? Robbie eventually asked, his face almost turned to his friend's direction. It took several seconds for Ivor to surface from his thoughts. Sorry? Why did you do it? He had a knife. The other henchmen had guns, but they were taken care of. He was going to kill us, Ivor replied as if weary. Yet you didn't kill his boss? No. So his bodyguard was disposable? Ivor drew in a deep breath and expelled it in a sigh. Mola de la Fuente deserved to die. He had form. Form? 
a history of crime, a reputation. And his boss didn't. We needed him. The Mona Lisas needed him. So Grandma asked you to kill him? No. I chose to kill the man. Why? I have my own reasons, but I do not wish to share them. It was clear that Ivor had become riled by the concentrated volley of questions aimed at the same target, the same bruise, the same wound that was turning raw with the attention. All Robbie knew was that he was seeking to provoke a reaction, although he would never be able to explain why. The events over the last hours were so dominating all his thoughts that Robbie experienced the extreme physical sensations of shedding the world's atmosphere to enter space as little more than a particularly interactive computer game. With one half of the Earth below them in darkness, Robbie turned to look towards the stars through the near-invisible walls of the hood, barely aware of how ferociously they shone without the competition from the hidden sun. He stared with blank focus as he composed his next question. Has Grandma asked you to kill before? For the first time since he had left the vessel to back up Gwen Carroll in her drug deal, Ivor turned to stare at Robbie. I understand that this is all new to you, and I know that tonight will be bewildering, but what do you think my job entails, Robbie? To protect Grandma, Robbie said defiantly. But I saw you tackle that Sergei in the kitchen. You're quick and strong. You didn't have to kill that man. None of us here have clean hands, explained Ivor as if he were trying to explain a theory to a particularly dim student. Not me, not your grandmother, not your aunts. No one here but you. What does that mean? You're not just criminals but killers? Killing is one of the complications attached to this profession, replied Ivor coldly. Complications? Complications? Robbie heard himself yelling without experiencing it. The apparent slow drift of the craft, which was actually approaching several thousand miles an hour, as well as the profound silence of space, seemed to amplify the shout. Everyone but the pilot of the hood turned in Robbie's direction. The worst crime, the worst sin in the world is not a complication. Murder is not a complication. Amen exclaimed Diane Walker from her seat at the front of the vessel, and there was something passionate, even manic, in the delivery of the comment. Diane's remark immediately drew attention away from Robbie and Ivor, as Gwen Carroll, Wanda Silvano, and Sun Ji concentrated their conversation upon the fourth Mona Lisa sat beside them. There are worse crimes than killing a bad man, Ivor pronounced in what was supposed to be a whisper but resembled a hiss. Do you know anything of Mona de la Fuente's history? Do you have the slightest notion of what he has committed? No, Ivor, but I'm beginning to suspect I know nothing about what you've done either, or Grandma, pronounced Robbie. Mona de la Fuente would have slit our throats in a church full of praying children, then turned his knife on the kids without having a shadow of a scruple trouble his conscience. Well, he died by his own rules and he lived with that risk. Save your concern for people who are worth it. Irritation and rage were taking hold of Ivor like venom coursing through his veins. I told your grandmother you should not have come tonight. Yet, here I am and there you are, whoever you are. Your father was a killer, Robbie, spat Ivor. He was good at it too, one of the best, they say, and he died because of it. 
Let's hope it's not a hereditary trait, shall we? The drubbing of his friend had been effective, producing the reaction Robbie was searching for, but Ivor's single swipe had dealt all Robbie's arguments a mortal blow. Even though everyone had been asked to remain in their seats in case the ship's internal gravity failed, Robbie slowly fumbled open the buckle on his harness and stumbled away from his oldest friend. His mind could find nothing familiar to latch onto. This was a lawless outland, unmapped territory with strange, sinister and frightening natives. You should not have come tonight, Ivor muttered, turning his face towards the stars in shame. I never knew you at all, Robbie managed to utter. Ivor's eyes darted about as if hunting for an answer in the constellations. I never knew you at all, did I? The cry caused the passengers of the Mona Lisa to face Ivor and Robbie once more. Even the Mona Lisas, secluded at the front of the flying vessel and deep in conversation with Deanne, turned towards them. You were my best friend, Robbie continued to cry out. Ivor's glare locked onto Gwen Carroll's eyes and remained fixed there. A kid like you should have friends his own age. Robbie's stare might have bored a hole through Ivor's temple. Up until tonight, you, Mum and Grandma, have been everything to me, my... Robbie glanced out into space for inspiration. My star guides. The only people I could rely upon to steer me towards becoming a person I liked and wanted to be. And up until that moment, that comment then... You were the only adult, the only one, who never, ever treated me as a child at any time. I'll do my growing up alone from now on. Ivor turned his face back towards the relentless gaze of the stars. Go away, Robbie. All around the ship, the bodyguards tended to remain in the company of their own groups, preferring not to get to know people they might possibly be asked to turn upon one day on a given signal. But Sergei was a new recruit, so was unaware of these unspoken routines and customs. The immense Mongolian was sat on his own, gazing open-mouthed with childlike wonder at the eternal night in most of the 360 degrees around him. As soon as Robbie had stepped away from Ivor, however, he beckoned at the boy to take the empty seat beside him. Robert! Robert, here! Yes, Sergei called out, patting the seat beside him, as if it was a pet used to rough affection. If Robbie's mind had been operating rationally, he might have shunned the invitation of the bodyguard who had scared him witless on the stairs only a few hours before, even though it seemed a lifetime away now. But Robbie only wanted to be away from Ivor, so gladly took the proffered seat and strapped himself in beside the Mongolian. Sit, yes, sit with me, please. Sergei nodded. You and I, we are fresh to such things, yes? It is good to have company when new things happen. You are angry with Evolf over killing, yes? Robbie made no sign. I know where you are arriving from, yes? Sergei nodded. It was the same with me when I shot my first wolf, 
understand. I had flushed out wolves from the forest before. We go amongst trees, making great rumpus hell of hula-baloo. My uncle files. The shot seems to echo off the mountains. The wolf that had taken our animals lies dead. Robbie made no response, happy to occupy his mind with the Mongolian's ramblings and knowing that, in his own way, Sergei was attempting to help. You have seen Khan Kenti? asked the Mongolian. Robbie shook his head. It is a harsh, simple land to the north of my country, Robbie. I call you Robbie, is okay? Robbie nodded his head. Plains, forests, and the mountains. Only this. He pointed to the starscape around him. Makes me feel smaller. Sergei appeared to become lost in the glory of the stars once more, and for a few seconds, Robbie thought he had been forgotten about. I was six when my uncle gave me the rifle. Didn't your father teach you to shoot? asked Robbie. Sergei looked surprised, considered the question for a moment, and then decided to answer it. Like you, I think I never knew my father, Sergei explained quietly, as if hoping not to share his history with anyone but Robbie. He was a European traveller, German, I think, who met my mother in Ulaanbaatar. Business, pleasure, who knows? My uncle was my father growing up. He is a good man. Treated me as son. Robbie sensed he had strayed into the huge Mongolian's most vulnerable recollections. I did not know my mother for long either before she left, Sergei added. The silence after the comment had a weight to it, suggesting a significant portion of a childhood was carried along with it. Where did she go? Robbie asked gently, sensing he was supposed to ask. She left, Sergei stated firmly, closing that avenue of questioning. My uncle gave me good childhood, though. Maybe my parents did me favor, Sergei mused. And your father? What of him? I'm not sure, replied Robbie. I was told he died in an accident before I was born, but I don't know anymore. Sergei nodded. This is a bummer. Robbie smiled at the Mongolian's comment, relieved that his emotions had found humour as an outlet rather than tears. I interrupted you. Your uncle handed you the rifle and... Yes, my uncle handed me rifle. I sighted her. It was only an old she-wolf with torn ears. I wept for her that night and hated my uncle for days. But never again. The first killing is the worst, always. He was a man, Sergei, said Robbie. 
The person Ivor killed tonight was a man. No, he was wolf. Not all of them wear wolf skin, you see. Robbie considered this for a moment. You knew him? No, but I can tell, declared Sergei, nodding sagely. I am like bird watcher of men. Yes, I can tell a hawk from a crow, and this man was predator. Bad wolf. Robbie's smile broadened. What type of animal am I then, Sergei? You are golden eagle, like Sergei. Alone, powerful, he said, kissing his mountainous bicep. And magnificent to witness, yes? Robbie's grin morphed into a smile and Sergei joined him. You and I are new to this, repeated the Mongolian. Big learning for both of us tonight, yes? Robbie agreed and gratefully allowed Sergei to talk about his homeland all the way back to Bristol. Only the hood's re-entry into the Earth's atmosphere interrupted the Mongolian's almost continuous stream of description and reminiscence until Robbie half believed that not only had he visited Khan Kenti, the province of Mongolia, but that he might have grown up there himself. Even after the aircraft had touched down in the caverns set within the cliffs of the Avon Gorge, and they had all disembarked, Robbie remained with Sergei. Then he said his goodbyes, saving the fondest for the big Mongolian, and retreated to the room kept aside for him at his grandmother's house. Few people would have noticed his absence anyway. The Mona Lisas were having a quick debate on the South American deal back in Gwen Carroll's study, whilst the bodyguards prepared to leave Bristol. High up in the house, Robbie heard the building rapidly hemorrhaging people, but sleep had overcome him by the time Gwen Carroll found the opportunity to look in on her grandson. It was the middle of the morning when Robbie awoke to hear his grandmother on the phone to her daughter, Ellie Ash. What had become a discreet call was becoming more strident with every exchange. No, sweetie, for the fifth time he came running to us of his own volition, explained Grandma Gwen to her daughter, I can understand you were frantic, sweetie, but I was busy last night and have yet to talk to him about why he ran away. I don't think Robbie's talking to anyone at the moment. Yes, I understand. Uh, sweetie, the wonderful thing about the phone is that you can both listen to the other person as well as talk to them. Otherwise, it's just a broadcast. Well, sweetie, I have issues with your husband-to-be, too. But when have you ever listened to me, even in a phone call? Eves dropping in on the conversation, Robbie was certain that he would never get used to the idea of his grandmother being the criminal mastermind, the fortune teller. Her life, her concerns, her contentment seemed so domestic and harmless. No, sweetie. Sweetie! Sweetie! I'm going to put down the receiver now and we'll see you in Chuffing Sodmore around lunchtime. Get some rest now, sweetie. You don't sound at all well. Okay, I'm sure you will. Bye-bye now. 
It could hardly be said that Robbie was keen to return to Chaffing Sodmore, but he did not object to the idea any more either. He had run away as one person and would return as another. Unfortunately, he could not orientate himself around his own feelings towards his grandmother and his best friend without experiencing all manner of conflicting emotions. His attitude towards his family had changed seismically, and Robbie felt the need to put some distance, as well as time, between himself and these two people to contemplate if he wanted these familiar strangers back in his life. After the experiences of the previous night, Gabriel Sage was hardly something to look forward to, but he certainly seemed the lesser of two evils. A little while later, Robbie was ready and reconciled to be driven back to Chuffing Sodmore when Grandma Carol invited her grandson into the large, empty kitchen. A chair had been pulled out beside her, but he shunned it in preference for having a corner of the huge kitchen table between himself and his grandmother. On the table between them was a small black box that might have held cufflinks or a hearing aid. Robbie was intrigued by the box, but did not succumb to the temptation of opening it. The car will leave in ten minutes, sweetie, she declared. I'm sure you can fill up that time with questions you want to ask me. Robbie just shrugged and allowed his gaze to wander around the table. Very well, I shall set the ball rolling. What you witnessed last night was indeed a drug deal, and yes, Ivor did kill that man. Robbie made no reaction. His gaze had come to light upon a pattern of concentric ovals clustered around a knot in the table. Is this the last deal the Mona Lisas will conduct? Gwen Carroll continued. Absolutely not. We have a bigger, more dangerous venture planned in a few months. Part of me would like you to be there. And will more people die because of your actions? Asked Robbie, without looking at his grandmother. Undoubtedly they will, yes, she answered, both as a consequence of last night's deal and the forthcoming one, but not in the way you might imagine. I cannot say more than that the deal is not what it seems to be. Now, clearly you're upset with... It doesn't matter, Robbie interrupted her. You'll do that mind-wipe trick on me again and I'll be the docile-loving grandson once more. Is that what you want? No, of course not. Then I won't. I give you my word. You're a criminal, Grandma. You trade in lies. Your word, your promises. Don't count for anything. Gwen Carroll nodded as if in agreement. Then all I'll say to you is to read the newspapers or listen to the wireless or watch the television news coverage in about a fortnight to a month's time, particularly regarding criminal activity in North and Central America. She peered up at the ceiling for a moment, then added as an afterthought, and Europe. You will see the true effects of last night's undertaking, the true effects of what the Mona Lisas have started. Let the newspapers and television do your boasting for you, Robbie said, finally meeting his grandmother's gaze. If that's what you want to believe, but that is not what drives us, Gwen Carroll paused. Are you going to tell your mother? 
Mum doesn't know about any of this, replied Robbie incredulously. She chose hypnosis over the knowledge. Robbie was stunned. Doesn't she even know about Dad? Nothing. Gwen Carroll stared at her only grandchild with disconcerting intensity. Will you tell her? Robbie met her gaze but remained silent for a short time. What would I say? She doesn't even believe me over Sage. How could she believe this? No, Grandma, I won't tell on you. Gwen Carroll appeared satisfied and opened the lid of the small box on the table, placing it in front of Robbie. Inside was a leather cord necklace with a small black metal bead at its centre, the type of thing a surfer might wear. Beside it, cushioned in a carefully designed red velvet indentation, was a minuscule round black dot. Believe it or not, sweetie, these two accessories act as a communication device, declared Gwen Carroll. The bead on the necklace is a microphone transmitter, similar to the tectite choker I wear, and the black thingamajig is a tiny speaker, which you place inside the shell of your ear where it masquerades as a skin mole. Together, they form a loop, allowing you to contact us like a telephone. All you have to do is to squeeze the bead until you hear an electronic note, and you'll automatically get through to us. Soon tells me that this is a possible way forward for mobile phones, apparently, although her people are still working on how to input phone numbers and call-up options, something concerning interactive contact lenses and retina tracking. I can't follow it. There is even a way to have these surgically implanted should you want to. I confess most of Sun's paraphernalia is beyond me. Try it. I shan't need it. I understand. Well, take it anyway. Should you want us to intervene with Gabriel Sage for you? It took a moment for Robbie to recognise the significance of the comment. In that moment, did he really have the power to end the life of a man who so captivated his mother? Could he, with casual irresponsibility, ask for Gabriel Sage to be executed? Is that what his grandmother was asking? Was she using the word intervene in the same way that Ivor had used complications to mean murder? Was this how inconvenient people were dealt with in the criminal world of the Mona Lisa's? Was life so valueless? Robbie had no idea if this was what his grandmother meant, but the weight of the idea made him nauseous. Is there anything else you want to discuss with me now? Gwen Carroll asked. If you ask me to, I will make overtures to your mother about returning here to live with us, if you so wish it. No. There's nothing, replied Robbie, rejecting everything he had hoped for when he had escaped the museum the night before. I just want to go home to Mum. At around lunchtime, the day after the evening of the drug deal in South America, Robbie was reinstalled in Chaffing Sodmore's Museum of Phantasmagoria, having hardly spoken a word in the car journey on the way back. As soon as Ivor turned the car around the statue of the soldier in the village square and the brown-eyed girl, Isla Lovecraft, sat beneath it, Robbie jumped out and greeted his mother in a surrendering embrace. He could tell by the frailty in his mother's hug 
that Robbie's running away had taken its toll on her physically, but Ellie Ash would not let him go for a full minute. Please, never again, she sobbed. Please, please, promise me. I'm sorry, Mum, Robbie whispered, his tearful eyes catching sight of Gabriel Sage's face, which appeared to be bearing an expression of genuine anxiety. It was all new to me. I'm going nowhere from now on. Not now. Not now, she replied. We'll talk more tomorrow, you and I. Go and rest. Robbie did as he was told, and never glanced back at the fortune teller and her bodyguard. Not even once. Thank you.